0: Nobody knows how to swim that deep. You gotta be born there. Gills fastened to your ribs in the watery placenta of Neptune. You only dream when you are awake. Everything so ancient, it is happening in the future. To survive on this earth, we escape into ourselves, hide in plain sight, finding solace in vice and lovers. No light, no air, no need. All this is a dream anyway. Mysteries only the ancestors know how to swim to the bottom of. Bioluminescence is deep sea melanin. Flashing wisdom in your own skin, sparks of cosmos in the depth of your watery dark. When an ancestor is coming back to the earth, old ladies dream of fish swimming through lakes of remember and forget. And they catch the babies like fisherwomen. On the starlit sea of Sankofa.
1: That was Pisces season, read by Janata Petrus from her book *The Stars and the Blackness Between Them*. Hello, my name is Renee Sills. I'm the host of Embodied Astrology, and Janata Petrus is my guest for this episode. Janata is a creative activist, writer, playwright, and multidimensional performance artist. Her work centers around black wildness, futurism, ancestral healing, sweetness, spectacle, and shimmer. She is the author of The Stars and the Blackness Between Them, winner of the 2020 Coretta Scott King Honor Book Award, and a forthcoming illustrated book, Can We Please Give the Police Department to the Grandmothers. Janata is also facilitating an upcoming series of workshops with Embodied Astrology, that centers on creative exploration and development with the supportive astrological inspiration of the mutable signs. This series of meetings takes place with the new moons of the mutable seasons over four Sundays this year on February 19th for Pisces season, June 18th for Gemini season, September 17th for Virgo season, and December 17th for Sagittarius season. In this series, we will have space to play and heal in our work through artistic activations inspired by the Mutable Quartet. You are invited to devote your participation to the initiation of a new project, to the refinement of a project you've already been working on, or to drop in to any or all sessions and energize your creative practice with astrological imagination. You can find more information on Janata's workshop series, Artistic Alchemy, Engaging in the Magical Wisdom of the Mutable Signs for a Soulful and Meaningful Artistic Practice and Life, in the show notes or at embodiedastrology.com in the workshop section. In today's conversation, Janata and I talk about her journey with astrology and its importance in shaping her writing and characters. She shares about her upcoming workshop series with Embodied Astrology and the inspiration she finds through the Mutable Signs and we explore some ideas about what Saturn's form-building and shape-making influence might bring during its transit in Pisces 2023 through 2026. I always have such a good time talking to Janata, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Janata, thank you for coming back onto the Embodied Astrology Podcast. It's such a joy to be able to talk to you again.
0: Oh my gosh. You know, I love you, Renee. You're my, my little Leo, my double Leo boo.
1: <laughs> um We first connected around astrology on the Instagram and our connection felt uh exciting right away, especially around our shared love of astrology. But I realized I've never asked you how you got into astrology and what has kept you interested in it. Like, what has this journey been about for you with the stars and the planets? Mm.
0: Well, I kind of like think the first time I ever stumbled upon astrology was actually. Um, I have an older, um, not an older, my aunt, my mom's sister, who, um, when I was, I don't know, I think I was about nine, she had an astrology book and it was a very kind of basic astrology book, you know, like just giving the 12 signs and kind of breaking them all down. And I remember loving the order and the beauty and the layeredness of how things were described. And I remember being like, oh, my birthday's in this cancer room, you know, or the cancer kind of date. And that's just the first time I remember just kind of beholding it and contemplating it. And this is my aunt who's an Aries, um, who's always been kind of like the free kind of wild spirit Um, of my mom's siblings, you know? Um, And, you know, she's a very sort of grounded, actually person in another way. Like she's an accountant and, or she just got retired, but um, how she represented in my youth was as an example of a wild adult who did things that were free and juicy. And she had a gap like me. And you know, all of my mom's sisters laugh like so big and loud. And I just there's something about just seeing her gap and like, I ah! like just the way Trinity's laugh, you know. So when I think of astrology, I definitely connected with this particular aunt. And you know, like I think in high school is when I really started to be interested in reading more about it, reading about my sign, my friends' signs, and then um again I think my relationship with it shifted again um when I was in AmeriCorps and this like hippie homie in AmeriCorps did my whole chart and that's when I was like oh there's levels to this shit it's not just your sun sign but it's your all of these things you know so I think for me um astrology has always been sort of a way that I could feel connected to spirit and connected to inspiration and kind of this otherworldly cosmic space that was always kind of talking to me like whether it was like me gazing at the moon or like you know feeling like into the cosmos and stars like as a kid or I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid like I think that's also connected to my astrology legacy um so yeah I feel like that's one of many ways I think astrology birthed me and connected me to myself and my relationship with the stars
1: Mm, I love that um yeah I love your enthusiasm for it and how much you weave it in to your life I mean we talk about it all the time but also your book the stars and the blackness between them has such a strong current of astrology and in some ways it seems like it's Kind of shaped around astrology. You have uh zodiacal poems uh throughout the book. You do poems for all 12 signs that are amazing. And then this character that you have, Afwa, um, is an astrologer. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, um, as you're developing his character and his interest in astrology, what was happening for you as you were thinking into that relationship for him? And what inspired you to write his character as an astrologer and as um, a, a teacher in some ways also of um, of Mabel? Um, I think, yeah, I
0: love that question because I do think that for me, once he became an astrologer, he was grounded in limitlessness, even though he was an incarcerated character. And I think a lot of how we think of folks who are incarcerated, it's kind of like, they just don't exist almost, you know, and our society absents them from our life. And they're very much present in their life and also present in the lives of those who love them, even um, in this like complicated, ambiguous absence, you know, and So for me, also, a lot of my politicization as a young person was through reading memoirs of incarcerated Black people, activists and whatnot. Um, And I wanted there to be a spiritual conversation with essentially this young Black queer girl and this man on death row. And the conversation was about existentiality, you know, like what is it to be Black and embodied in a universe that or a world that isn't able to see our divinity, even though it absorbs every drop of it. Um, And I think particularly the time I was writing the book um, was right around when BLM was really starting to blossom in the collective consciousness. And I was thinking about blackness and its sacredness and its divinity. And I think, how could I hold that within these characters having this kind of dialogue and conversation that's spiritual and also between, you know, a a sick body and the astrology, as far as my process with writing the book, it was like, I would work through the characters and like the prose and the chapters. And then when I couldn't go anymore, I would write poetry. I'd write astrology poetry and make collages, actually astrology, black astrology, ancestor collages. Um, that allowed me to sort of be like, oh yeah, I'm in this world with these spirits. And I think a lot of the poems themselves felt like channeled conversations with spirit and, you know, Black ancestors and how did we live in astrology? But yeah, so I think it was really fun to let my brain do all, and also I'm neurodivergent, you know, so I feel like for me to complete a novel, I had to go a whole bunch of different places within the universe of it, but go a whole bunch of different places. And I feel like it it, it lives in the way the book is told and also lives in some of these um, layers. Um, and I think astrology is such a good constellation of thought And such a beautiful kind of spiritual technology because it does let you be limitless. Like, there's, as you know, as an astrologer, like you could study every single thing. And then somebody's like, But have you heard of this asteroid that's actually really the one fucking your shit up? You know what I mean? You're like, No. So I feel like that's felt like a very beautiful container of limitlessness that also was a container for the process of working on this book
1: hmm. I felt so inspired when I was reading your book in the ways that you it felt like you were really in a devotional practice sometimes with astrology and how you uplifted the signs and every one of the zodiacal poems felt to me like I learned a lot about that energy and um, and I don't remember now if all of them were like this, but in some of them, the sign was personified and you were talking about different characters or ways of being or aunties or, you know, different um, archetypal embodiments. And yeah, I felt like I learned so much about astrology reading your book. And I was wondering if you did too, if, if writing Afwa's character and writing those poems taught you about astrology and how you learned from yourself and how that felt.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you and I, you know, actually really bonded at the astrology conference in Seattle, the Norwag. Um, and there I learned about astrodrama, you know, so where you could kind of like, personify or identify kind of traits and, and embodiments almost like theatrical embodiments of the signs and I think now looking back even though I wrote the book three years before I feel like that's definitely part of the experience that I had in writing those poems and kind of living into the characters that um are part of the book in general you know like I think it was a way for me to acknowledge that a lot of how I live in astrology is this embodied kind of intuitive way and um i sometimes struggle with the two-dimensional charts you know like i'm still growing and learning that but i think once i live in the embodiment of it and the sort of spirits and souls that live in that energy and the archetypes like you said it's just i get it you know a lot more and i think uh it was interesting because also like you know i found a, a embodied astrology after i put my book out and i was like oh this is kind of the energy in the space in which I feel like astrology can make sense to me. And I think this also has to do with neurodivergence. You know, it's like if we're all learning a thing in a very sort of specific structure of knowledge or knowledge absorption, and we don't acknowledge that some of us learn more easier from our elbows, moving through space and, you know, feeling the earth or acknowledging the breeze and listening to it. So yeah, like I feel that I really did learn from this book process that astrology isn't a thing that's like just psychological or just like on this paper of, you know, lines and, you know, um, circles, but it's actually like, oh, like it's in the energy of a lover and how you can't stop thinking about them. And they seem like the center of the universe because they're a Leo and everybody's obsessed with them. And... You know, um, like, how do you kind of live in that? And I do feel like a lot of the poems are accumulated from all of the people I've met in my life and the way that I've experienced them astrologically as well as, you know, soulfully in their existence.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, thinking about what you were saying earlier, I feel like astrology is an ancestral remembering a lot of the time and that its technology has branched into so many different iterations. And there are iterations Mm -hmm. of it that are super scientific, that have a lot of rules, and then iterations that feel a lot more organic and intuitive. And I feel like a lot of the conversations you and I have had has explored kind of the space between those two ends of a spectrum and in you, in in how you are and and how you inhabit your life. And then in how you write, it really feels to me like there's a channel that kind of gets opened up for you that, yeah, it feels like it really grounds me in the essence of astrology, you know, and in the uh, lived expression of it. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear that the process of astrodrama or something was something that you encountered later it, it is in a lot of ways, I think, a very intuitive practice because astrology is so dramatic. I mean, these these characters, these planetary zodiacal characters and their aspects um I've noticed this all the time when I'm interpreting charts or when I'm talking to people, we jump so quickly into the drama. It's like, Oh my God, I'm going to get a square from Saturn. Fuck. You know? And it's like, Oh no. And a lot of times those energies are quite subtle or they're nuanced and they take their time. They're not sometimes as dramatic as we imagine they might be, but I think playing them out and really living into them uh, makes astrology make sense so deeply. Mm. And I was wondering, how has astrology inspired you in your creative practice before you learned that the techniques or the names of the techniques? You know, I I think it's been one of your creative tools or your allies for a long time. Like, have you been working with astrology and your other creative projects uh, before Stars in the Blackness between them or after?
0: I'm trying to think of before, really. I think like, through the stars and the blackness between them, I got to really go all out and really be like, give myself permission to be like, yeah, there's an astrologer character in here. So that means you got to research and study a lot of astrology. Ah, oh, shucks. You know what I mean? Um, So it really allowed me to just go in and let myself run wild with astrology and the intersections with my creativity. And definitely since then, you know, I feel like even my future books my children's book that's coming out like you know i talk about you know astrological signs and also with writing other characters and other stories like it is fun to think of them astro dramatically because the other thing about astrology is it allows it's dramatic but it and subtle like you said and it's also so multidimensional and intersecting right um and i don't know have you and i talked about internal family systems yeah I feel like astrology is like in also uh, legacy and relationship with that kind of aspect where there's different parts of yourself. So for people who aren't familiar with internal family systems, it's essentially acknowledging that, you know, we're made of several different kinds of selves and that some of these selves will protect parts of you, that they will, you know, be exiled within you and multiple different elements of yourself. And since I've been going through this kind of therapeutic process with my therapist and like, you know, acknowledging the different selves of me, like there's a part of myself that, you know, feels very like I want to present the best version and I don't want to seem like I'm fucked up in any way. Virgo rising. I'm pretty sure that's my Virgo rising, right? There's another part of myself that's like the exiled kind of like you know, emo, like, you know, nobody cares about how heavy my spirit is and how much I have to hold. And I do feel like that's definitely my cancer son potentially, but also I, you know, I feel like there's some other stuff going on, like where, where some of my things are like the certain houses, certain things are in, for example. So anyways, like, I think it's been interesting, like the astrology of it all, even tarot, like, you know, is another practice of mine, like really thinking around how with each tarot card, there's so much stories, there's so much density and interpretations with each tarot card. And I think I love having some of these containers and technologies for lack of a better words and spiritual practices to kind of create a foundation for what I'm writing from. Because I think as artists, both like, like really in an ancestral sense, It was very much all of these roots and tendrils that were like wrapped up and like is channeling through us, you know, through time, through all of these other um, entities, you know, both human and otherworldly. I think, you know, we're in communication with on an embodied kind of conscious, unconscious level. And I think the stars and the blackness between them, A, the process of making it and really giving myself that support through the astrology and stuff like that. Um, to show up um, for myself, um, but it's also I think makes it so that there's more meaning in what I'm saying. Like there's so many people who like have hit me up and been like, yo, particularly young people are like reading this book made me think of myself and curious about myself spiritually, you know? And it's not like I set out to write like, I wanna write a spiritual book, but it's like, I got very clear that like, I had to be in a spiritual relationship with making it And it's been beautiful to see how people have found meaning that I wasn't even consciously trying to put in a thing, but they get to make meaning and live into it in another way. So,
1: yeah, I I love thinking about um, the, the ways that I feel like astrology really invites us into iteration after iteration and going deeper. And like you said, there's this limitless quality to it, where as we learn about it, It really expands, um, I think, the self concept and helps us understand how how the self is also constructed within a larger self or a larger whole um, of what's represented in an astrological chart, which is the whole solar system. And I don't know how far out you want to go or how far out you want to think, but it is a system that is designed to bring us into those relationships and in that way, it feels like there's infinite amount of creativity and not a lot of uh, limitations on where you could go with it. Mm-hmm. You're about to start a series with embodied astrology. Uh, mm-hmm. I love the title of it, Artistic Alchemy, Engaging the Magic of the Mutable Signs for a Soulful and Meaningful Artistic Practice in Life. Um... I would love to hear you talk a little bit about this series and how you're thinking about it and what you want to explore within it. And yeah, how you're holding astrology also as a container for group process and uh, mutual support or collaboration.
0: Yeah, I feel like, oh, thank you for asking me about that. And I actually had a great conversation with my friends last night telling them about this class, actually, because I think for me... um, I think somewhere somebody said, like, you know, to really learn something, you must teach it, you know, don't know where the quote is from. Don't at me. But um, I feel that, you know, this particularly this class and even just this conversation around my experience of writing a book astrologically and wanting to give the container of astrology to folks. Um, and know that there's so much limitlessness within this structure that we all love to play in, which is astrology. So the first class is within the mutable sign of Pisces. And oh, Pisces, oh my gosh. People talk, we talk junk about, I don't talk junk. First of all, I never talk junk about any sign, but I love me some Pisces energy. And it feels so juicy to just be like, yeah, we're starting off juicy as artists because that's where it comes from anyway. It comes from the juiciness. Everybody wants to be in that, super fecund and succulent space of possibility, you know, and also this dreaminess, you know, this like sort of, uh, we're all connected, we're all one, we're all a part of this, you know, genius pool of possibility and insight and wisdom and intuition and um, all of the things, right? I think like Pisces, is a good place for us as artists to be centered and reminded. It actually makes me think of the body um, is a chart, you know, that you have and how you start with Pisces before you go into Aries. Because I do think there's a sort of nice little pivot with that grounding, because I think Aries energy that's Mars centered, it's very like spring. Yeah. Spring is when it's popping. When And Pisces is like, no, nah, there's so much deep shit happening here, y'all. It's so deep. It's so underground and in the fields like this is where we can understand some shit you know and um I want to give people in that first class permission to really sort of live in all of that luminous liminality you know um and you know allow what wants to come through them come through them and make ritual and make you know sort of a place to catch it. You know, like I think Pisces energy is very ancestral energy. So we start off in Pisces and then we're going to move into Gemini season, which to me is kind of like, we're moving, we're grooving, we're dipping, we're zipping. What do we want to know? The curiosity, the curiosity. We're here, there, everywhere. It could be anything. And I always say like Gemini is the sign of the rapper. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, first of all, there's so many brilliant and complicated rappers who are Gemini, like you know, Kanye, our boy Kanye. Um, We have Kendrick Lamar, and I don't think he's complicated. Just Kanye. Um, (laughs) Kendrick Lamar is amazing, obviously. Lauren Hill, uh, Andre Three Thousand. Uh, we have um, uh, Prince is a Gemini and these are obviously the suns, their sun. So I don't know where Gemini lives in everybody else's chart. And Gemini is, you know, prominent in my chart um, with the Mercury and Mars and the 10th house um, of Gemini with a Virgo rising. Um, so I just think like Gemini's permission to be like, yeah, y'all, let's just throw it all at the wall recklessly, you know, like I where Pisces kind of like juicy, delicious gatherings and we're floating and we're dipping and diving and oh we're in the cosmos now oh we're a jellyfish oh we're an alien like gemini is like you know like what like okay cool let's go there then let's we aliens now okay so what's this universe like okay you know like i think gemini is gonna really just go off somewhere and then we have virgo season you know this next mutable sign that's getting to be like okay we've had our fun and we're still gonna have fun stop thinking I'm not fun. Okay. I'm a Virgo and I'm ready to actually hone in. I'm like, well, what is it that I'm really wanting to make this thing? We've spent all this time exploring and feeling this thing out. And now I'm using that intuition and that alignment and that precision to really get clear about how this thing will be shaped and thinking about, I don't know, there needs to be another word, but editing. Like I like to think of it almost as a shaping into something like how are we shaping this into the world? you know like I think a Virgo energy as you know sort of like, okay, this you know here we have this delicious tree that comes from the earth. here we have all these beautiful flowers. like how are we actually understanding that a sunflower has these kinds of seeds and these kinds of petals? And of course there can be gazillions kinds of sunflowers, but we're also kind of just getting clear about what the shape and the thing of it is.
1: Yeah. Just thinking about that craft and like medicinal quality of Virgo synthesizing something to its elements of use. Yeah. I love this. Keep going.
0: Um, so Sagittarius, I think Sagittarius is like, okay, you done made something or you done been with something for a while. Where do you see this in the world? How do you want to live with this in existence? You know, like I think Sagittarianness is very much like, you know, you're dipping with your thick ass horse legs and you got your bow and arrow and you're like, shit, I could really just pop this shit anywhere. You know what I'm saying? like, And I think I want people to feel that sort of levity kind of move forthness. And like, you know, so what does it look like? Okay, maybe you've been working on a dance this whole time, you know, and you're like, okay, maybe I wanna share this in a house concert, you know, and invite this friend to play some records while I dance this out and invite people, or maybe I'm created this menu. You know what I mean? And I like really thought about all these different, like, I really want it to be a thing where, you know, people could think of all of this magical stuff that they've done, whatever their art practice is and be like, okay, and now how am I going to share it? How is it going to move forth in the world? How is it going to, you know, lift the light into the world? You know? So I think uh, the journey, like I, I, it's a thing where people could come in for obviously each section and, or all of it, you know? Um, but I think they should, you should bring like, if you have no art idea at all for a project right now, pull up. If you're like, I have a fucking book deadline and I'm like, I hate writing. I literally hate writing. Pull up. I got something for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really going to be a generative and fun and juicy space. And yeah, I do think the mutability of it is like, yeah, we're just going to kind of like, Stay in constant movement, you know, whether it's like a rocking, whether it's a shimmy, whether it's a like, you know, sprint, you know, whether it's a float, you know, it's like we're just going to stay in movement and stay supple and know that from us being in that space, we could like, you know, give birth, you know, from softness. And softness in the world is a good thing.
1: Mm, It feels... Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the mutable energies are so um, they're so intelligent, you know, and it's this exquisite intelligence of change and transformation and turning one thing into another thing. And all the mutable signs are following the fixed signs, moving towards the cardinal. It's like, how do we take something that is a form, break it down, reconfigure it, and then reimagine and rebirth it. And, um, When we've been talking about this series, I know I've been personally really excited because I feel like I have so many creative projects that I haven't been able to focus on. And um, I don't, I've been having a lot of trouble over the last few years, giving myself a container, like a creative container. And it feels necessary for me right now, I think in a lot of ways to have somebody else hold that. And so first of all, just thank you for holding this creative container for (laughs) me and for anybody else that comes along on the journey. Um, And then, yeah, secondly, thank you for letting this mutable energy flow through you into this container. Um, You're such a a mutable magic mama, like your chart (laughs) is just so informed by mutability and I'm I'm wondering how you feel mutability or what's magical about it in your life in general and how you resonate with with mutability as a theme
0: yeah I think um yeah so I have a Virgo rising and I have uh Mercury and Mars in Gemini so Mercury rules my chart which is was kind of interesting to me because I think I've always been like oh cancer's sun you know so i feel like me and the moon is like this sun but i think when i really have started to contemplate mercury and sort of that interest in like limitless curiosity i think that's always been um such a part of my identity is just i'm freaking curious as fuck you know what i mean and i think um it allows me to experienced so many magical things in life because I am never fully satiated on an intellectual, soul, spiritual level. Like I always wanna feel all of the dimensions of a thing. Um, And I think that um, I've really grown to understand more so that Gemini in my chart as of recently. And again, with this astro drama component, Where I'm like, wow, like that's in my fucking 10th house. Like that shit is in the brightness. Like this is my most sort of like, you know, um, important kind of offering to the world lives in this aspect of me in some ways that feels also like the most wild and reckless and untenable part of myself is my Gemini placements, you know, where I feel like, wow, sometimes my brain is in overdrive with the curiosity and the thinking and the. Um, and having Mercury and Mars there in particular, I'm like, yo, Mercury's out here tripping. Mars is like, okay, I got stuff to do. I have mad ideas and and Mercury's over here like spasm because it's just like, whoa, there's just so many possibilities and and i just like, and I think that's also been good about the therapeutic aspect of my life. It's like, oh, dealing with internal family systems to be like, oh, there's these parts of me that like some parts of me feel extremely driven um, and I also think the Mercury and Mars component can make my mouth kind of quick. Like I love words, I love playing with words, I love uh being um kind of sassy in a way that's like unexpected, you know. Like I think that's where the rapper component of it is. It's like, oh yeah, like I love a good freestyle. Like I haven't freestyled in a while, but I had a little like phase where I was freestyling. I think freestyling is very Gemini energy, you know, it's like you kind of gotta just let the ether kind of take over your brain. Um, so yeah, like, I think, um, it's, it does also leave to my restlessness. And I think that's the Virgo aspect too. Like, I think Virgo can be extremely restless because there's always a way I thing could be more perfect and more, you know, and then when you get that perfection, then you get fixated on another perfection or, and maybe perfection isn't the word all the time because I think that ends up making it seem very um, surface because it's like, yeah, like what is perfect, right? Is a, It's a perception of a thing not having a flaw. But when I think of what Virgo wants, like Virgo wants it to feel right, wants it to feel like, okay. It's almost like kind of, you know, lives into the ways that Virgo and Libra, I think are similar where it's like okay there's a way that if things were this thing then everything could be good i mean think about beyonce like Mm -hmm. i'm about to buy tickets to go see beyonce and you know she's a virgo and i think she's uh you know i know she has a lot of libra in her chart too and i have a lot of libra in my chart but i think the virgo aspect is that you know when you see the thing the thing would be the best opportunity of observing the thing possible that could ever be iterated into existence. You know, um, I think that's Virgo energy. And I don't, I think it shouldn't feel like a slavery either. Like, I think that's what I love about Renaissance. And it's like being very dance and very free and very like, you know, like Virgos can be kind of freaky, like, like kind of being like, oh, I'm definitely going to get into the absolute sort of like, I'm going, I'm going to want to study the pleasure to serve you in whatever way that makes you so I also feel like the aspect of service could also be kinky with Virgo. And I think that's also a thing I'm exploring where I'm like, oh, wow, like actually some of my restraint and some of my curiosity and some of my hiding and some of my like total uh, fixation and obsession is actually part of my kinkiness that lives both sexually and creatively. Um, so yeah, so I feel like Gemini is very much like, oh yeah, like I'm I'm kind of like, you know, both Gemini and Virgo kind of have that like freaky, kinky, curious, Um, like I want to make the things a thing that feels so like mwah, chef's keys. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what, yeah. do, what do you think? How do you think all of the mutability lives in my existence as a <laughs> astrologer and homie?
1: Well, you know, I remember the first time I looked at your chart, I was really struck Uh, by the placement of Vesta, an asteroid, exactly conjunct to your Virgo ascendant. Mm. And that, you know, you were just talking about Virgo as a perfectionist energy and Virgo in service. And I think of Vesta as, you know, really a, um, a symbol of the divine feminine and the quality of devotion in all of us when it comes to tending what is life-giving and what is vital. And um, I've, I've certainly experienced your, or parts of your perfectionism, you know, and we've talked about it and it's, I definitely feel uh, the kind of constant churning, you know, that is happening in you around like, what's next and how is this going to be better? And what am I going to do with this? I feel really inspired by that. in you also, by the way, but I also feel this very consistent thread in the um, in the way that you approach not just your work, but your life, you know, and I think that's the ascendant sign with a question of, of what is this in service to, you know, and I see you constantly bringing the part of you that is devotional and like showing up to conversations, no matter who they're with, with a kind of, yeah, like devotional um affect, you know, where you're uplifting, you're looking for what's vital, you're not bypassing or like, uh, ignoring what's what might not be something that we want to devote ourselves to. It's like you can speak uh, your mind and you have that kind of quickness that you were talking about with that Mars Mercury in Gemini, but it just feels like you're a priestess, you know, in your work and a lot of what you're doing a lot of the time is channeling. And you have that mutable T square in your chart, you know, with your all your cardinal angles, your uh, ascendant, descendant, midheaven, IC are uh, in the mutable signs, and then, yeah, I just feel you're you have Neptune and Sag right at the base of your chart opposing that Mars and Mercury and Gemini. So when like when you're having a million ideas. It also feels deeply grounded in something that does seem spiritual, you know, as it's coming through you. And it does feel deeply ancestral and limitless in that Mm -hmm. uh, ancestral resonance. Like I've heard you talk about your connection with the more than human realm and so many different kinds of humanness. And it feels like you and your awareness of yourself are so expansive. And that I really feel that in your mutability, for sure.
0: Wow. Thank you, friend. I love that. I love, I love it. So it's always so wonderful to hear your uh, readings. Cause of course I listen to your horoscopes um, all the time, several times a month. Um, but it's fun when I get to have you look at my chart and reflect some things that, cause you know, it's always like, Oh, that does make sense. Cause I guess I never think about my Neptune and Sagittarius in the fourth mm-hmm. house. And I'm mm. like, oh, yeah, because I'm always thinking about, oh, the Gemini shit and Mercury, Mars or my Venus and Leo kind of not, you know, I'm also, you know, sometimes thinking about my North. Node. like there's sometimes I'm thinking about parts of my chart and I'm kind of really thinking about it and reflecting on it. But Neptune and Sagittarius and um, the fourth house, because I never think of myself as having anything in Sagittarius, but I'm like, no, I fucking do. And it's Neptune. Mm-hmm. In my- fourth house of like family home ancestral you know aspects so Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. yeah yeah I find um not with all Virgo rising charts of course but um Sagittarius in the fourth house is often you know people who have really diverse families that they come from I know your family comes from multiple different places and you know you've grown up with um uh, like an awareness of being an immigrant too and like having streams from many different places. You've traveled a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. I feel like you speak a lot of different languages within English. You know, you speak the language of playwriting and freestyling and, you know, a political activist and an author and a parent. And you're, you just switch between them so fluently. And I think you've had to, you know, in your life, like you've, you've been required um, to hold a lot of of different perspectives and awarenesses and languages.
0: Yeah, that shit is real as hell. That shit is real as hell. I know, and it's interesting in thinking about it in writing and thinking about multilinguality within Blackness. And people will call it code switching, which I feel like code switching feels like you're kind of, I don't know, code switching feels like Oreo, which I've also <laughs> been reimagined, like, okay, so Oreo, it's like Black on the outside, white on the inside you know, um, is this idea that, like, you know, it's a thing that I often would be told when I was a kid because I'd be like, oh, I sounded white. And there's certain spaces, like, with my family where I sound more West Indian, but then I also sound more Yankee to them (laughs) than West Indian. And then I sound to, you know, the kids in my community who are Black kids from more so um, Black American migrant spaces. Like, to me, you know, I just... I sounded West Indian, black, but also from the hood, but also like, mm, you know, it's just like, oh, that's an Oreo. But I was like, Oreos are such good cookies, you know, and <laughs> they're delicious. And I literally was just like writing a poem recently. And I was like, man, fucking Oreos are delicious. Why did I feel so sh- much shame and being an Oreo, you know, and I'm not white on the inside, but I am creamy. I am soft. I am sweet okay. on the inside you know it's like so what they made the cream white the cream could have been any other color but whatever but i'm still soft and sweet and creamy on the inside and i and i think that's part of my like healing work you know but yeah definitely feeling like um there's so many people who according to where i'm at you know like my being and my expression feels a reflection of you know my existence and you know like how do i um as a writer kind of speak like I said to this you know black multilinguality that I think a lot of black folks move into different spaces like you know I got a homie um Malaika who's from LA and she used to be married to a Trini and she do a better Trini accent than I do you know and also is a comedian and a rapper and super freaking smart you know like I think there's just all of the different ways that i see her comedic intelligence in her speaking and yeah i have a lot of friends you know i think about my friend val in aquarius melika is a libra so that's all air sign energy anyways i love you friends <laughs> but like you know just the ways that people can be in multilinguality um with themselves and particularly black folks like i do think there's like the hip hop tongue, the like diasporic black tongue. Yeah. So I, I do think about that, especially within this like Neptune and um Sagittarius, like you know, how so much of us are from recent migratory kind of experiences. Like whether it's like, you know, a lot of the kids who I grew up with were black kids from Chicago, like almost all of them. Like I was like the only kid not from Chicago and I was devastated. Because so I was like like these kids are flyer than me. They're cooler than me. They talk more in a way that like, I feel, anyway, I might Mm. be digressing. But like, you know, I I do get curious as a writer, like how do you hold how black folks, you know, we're so multidimensional and time traveling in our speech and how we use language and the ways our ancestors spoken, the places we grew up and the certain things that we're into. And I really love going into that as a writer. So
1: mm, mm. yeah, I mean, that that feels like magic. And I think that mutability definitely feels like part of that. And it brings me back to talking earlier about how you got into astrology and like your approach with it. And This sense of mutability, picking up a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And like, I'll take some from here and I'll take some from there. And then, what can I, maybe sometimes intentionally, what can I do with this? Or I'm picking up some of this, I'm picking up some of that, and this is now how I'm experiencing it and expressing it. And it's going to be this braiding together of different languages, different influences, et cetera. And to me, that feels like advanced neural networks, you know, that feels like mycelial intelligence of recognizing that one language is never going to be sufficient you know for the entire globe to converse we need multilinguality biodiversity is what creates life and so that yeah like both ancestral remembering but also lived experience within society that you're talking about for black folks to exist in um feels like it demands that kind of mutable magic you know an ability to remember make sense of create new language for and recreate within systems that are not designed to give that kind of vitality but to find the essence in them that is vital
0: yeah I love you know I love you so much for bringing up the shrooms of it all um <laughs> but we're all like yeah, no, definitely. And I definitely feel that even in my recent like familial history, like I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the middle of the cold Like We have had negative degrees this week, friend. It's like just violently, disrespectfully cold up in here. But I was born here in the Midwest around no ocean. So many lakes, though, around so many freshwater lakes, but no oceans. When my parents talk about being by the water, they're talking ocean. They're talking You know, Trinidad, St. Croix, you know, they're talking about these whole other ecologies and universes that like they're born from, like that's their existence. And they're raising me from that sort of emotional and psychological and spiritual and ancestral interiority. Um, But it's a place that I have no knowledge of, like, I don't know. it, And I think like that's definitely the stuff a lot of, you know, immigrant kids talk about is that. You're living in this um, collapsed uh, space and time, you know, with your parents, like where in their reality, it's only where they're from and where you're and you're from this place. And it's the same. So, yeah, like I uh, I feel like so much of when I really think about what I'm trying to make sense of in my writing is, you know, just making sense of like, wow, like us as black folks we are really borderless, you know, like, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, you know, cause I, I want to be mindful of not, you know, um, wanting to like acknowledge the diversity of blackness. Cause we're so diverse. And I think we're so, um, flattened in our society. Um, blackness is, even though it's so clear how, you know, multidimensional it is and that's whatever. But I also think that, um, I'm into this, uh, understanding of like, oh, wow. Like, when they snatched us all, like my wife is from Cameroon and I went to like the slave sort of uh, stolen castles where they took enslaved people. And you just saw where they just like gathered everybody up and then put them in a um like dungeon and then put them in a boat. And some of them both went to Jamaica. Some of them both went to Trinidad. Some of them boats went to North America or to uh, the U.S., some went to Brazil, a lot went to Brazil, you know, and you're just like, damn, who the hell are we? We're we're all of it and we're 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 beyond it. So, anyways, friend.
1: Well, that actually feels like a good segue to a question that I have for you about Saturn and Pisces. Um, because uh Saturn as an archetype, like all of the archetypes, is of course complex and multifaceted, but it can definitely represent themes around. Um, policing and authority and uh, dominant kinds of ways of being or oppressive ways of being that then seek to enslave or employ, you know, around whatever its objectives might be. And so it represents restrictions, obstacles, um, In in some of its associations, it can represent, you know, actually like a boss or an authority or someone who enslaves. Um, But On the other end of its spectrum, it brings us into eldership and maturation. The way that I resonate a lot with Saturn is as a deeply feminine archetype and an archetype that brings us uh, to like the idea of the council of grandmothers or the the council of grandparents. Um, And in your chart, Saturn has moved from the fifth house of creativity and creative expression into the sixth house of jobs and, you know, kind of making things uh, formed in a particular way that have sometimes something to do with career and you recently published a children's book based on your poem could we please give the police department to the grandmothers and that feels like a very um succinct possibility for Saturn and Pisces and yeah. this you know this archetype that, Uh, wants to be reimagined, right, in a mutable sign, this kind of feeling of how do we take one thing and turn it into another thing? And I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit, um, you know, if you want, if it inspires you about how you read Saturn's archetype and how you see the role of grandmothers and elders in society as being an antidote or alternative or place of imagination for a transformation to the roles that police currently hold and have held.
0: Yeah, um, okay. so I love a this conversation around Saturn and all of the ways that you're kind of reimagining Saturn more so like Crone energy rather than like, you know, scary daddy energy. Um, and I love, especially when I think of, you know, where does safe and magical um, kind of structure and boundaries come from? And I think of, you know, strangely, even though it's a children's book, I think of you know, I'm not even going to go there because I'm just thinking about something else. But I think, you know, within this space of this children's book, like respecting and loving this authority of grandma authority that's so loving and so deeply caring and also Wanting to be very careful of not assigning elder women this role of come save the day, particularly Black elder women. And I also feel like the reason that, you know, like I I was really thinking about how particularly Black women absorb and have had to absorb so much of what America sort of won't acknowledge about its trauma. And I think about fibroids, which, you know, I've had that are like these uh, non-cancerous growths in your uterus, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of Black women um, and Black uh, people with uteruses receive and experience this, you know, throughout the world. And I was just thinking about how a lot of that is just absorbing kind of these toxicities of being in this culture and having to absorb all of the violence, all of the disrespect you know, um, and also give so much of our magic and sweetness, you know? So when I think about wanting to live into this idea of grandma energy, I really think it's a thing that all of us could be, no matter our gender, no matter our race, no matter our age, that like if we're living into this abolitionist space, this post-police space, we have to learn how to have a certain soft and beautiful and loving empowerment and way of navigating a journey towards collective healing and holding for all of the multi-dimensional wounds and brokenness and oppressions that have existed over time. Um, And I came up with this acronym like yesterday. So this is like hot on the press. Debuting on the Embodied Astrology podcast, the acronym of GRANDMA is Getting Real Abolitions Now dreams may awaken to me. I'm like, we could all be grandmas. We can all be grandmas of like, you know, getting abolition, you know, how many times, you know, how many ways do we need to get abolition? It's going to be a meditation. It's going to be a practice. It's going to be like multiple technologies of like healing from all of these ways of trying to overpower and extract from each other from nature from all the other species um so i do feel like abolition is also multidimensional. like how do we see that as part of the environmental work is lives in abolition you know and lives in dreaming and lives in uh all of it
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah that really lands i i feel like pisces Um, is so often associated with the 12th house and these places of that are sometimes talked about in such a carceral way and experience, um, you know, where there is a loss of self, or there's a kind of enclosure around the self that doesn't um, allow for interaction or expansion in an external way, and then asks for the interaction and expansion to happen internally and spiritually. And like you said, in very multidimensional and spiralic and overlapping ways. And as you were talking, I was writing down some words that to me just resonate so deeply with Pisces, like abolition and dreams may awaken, right? This kind of sense of Pisces being a dreaming state and Saturn's presence there asking for something, right, to be realized Um, You were mentioning absorption a bunch and, um, you know, in society, the absorption that um, I think, yeah, lands upon the bodies of black women and and people who are living in the intersections of marginalization where there's um, what you said, you know, this, this absorption Of so much and then at the same time a need to give magic and sweetness like to do this alchemical internal work that then also like Pisces is depleting I mean it takes so much and it takes from every different level of one's being and I'm thinking about Pisces as a as an energy that is sometimes channeled through Neptune as its planetary representative and Neptune is currently in Pisces and over the next couple of years, as Saturn moves into Pisces, Saturn is moving towards a conjunction with Neptune. And with astrology in general, like there's a million ways to read into that. But if we wanted to read into it around this sense of collective dreaming, I think that Pisces and Neptune can speak to and a generational longing or a, a fantasy, right? Like, oh, this is it. Like this is this is the healing that we're looking for. And with Pisces and Neptune, it's not quite here. It's not in a solid form. It's intangible, but it's a dream, and we feel it, and we are immersed in it. And then Saturn comes in, and it wants form, right? And it's doing this work of restructuring. And um, you know, I think that this transit potentially has a lot of possible support for people who are doing abolition work, for example. And I'm wondering, um, you know, f- for you in the, in the place that you hold in your life, which branches into so many different areas, I mean, you are such a prolific creative genius, but you're also an activist and you're deeply rooted in Minneapolis and the activism has been happening there for several years. Um, do you think that we can harness this energy for a collective push uh, to do the abolition work or to uh, defund the police and, and refund more social projects? And what do you imagine Um, That this activism might look like in daily lives and in our communities?
0: Mm -hmm. I love that question. Yeah, I, I like to think so. You know, I'm extremely hopeful. I love that we're kind of slowing down and getting curious about what foundations we need. And I think that's happening individually. And I also think it's because we are dreaming big. You know, it's like we're dreaming big. So thus, how do we live into understanding that there's different foundations and kind of um resources and skill sets that we need to have so i love thinking about neptune and Saturn and Pisces together, dreaming together, um, and thinking about Neptune dreaming and having all these ideas and then Saturn kind of being like a life coach, you know, almost energy, like kind of a little naughty life coach. Cause it's like, yeah, like it doesn't have to be all painful. It can be very like pleasurable, you know, pleasure identified in the healing Um, I think that's a part of the healing too. Um, It's like, how do we live into things feeling good as a, you know, metric for what it is we're trying to do. Um, And I'm really excited to think about like, yeah, well, I mean, so like with this poem, you know, um, that really came from a place of sadness and like, just like, wow, man, you know, around the time Michael Brown was murdered, I was working in a puppet parade. Slash mask and puppet parade in Minneapolis called the May Day parade. And that year we decided the theme was Black Lives Matter. Um, And I decided to create a section called Black is Sacred and really sort of acknowledging that, like, wow, you know, for what Blackness has been to the United States, we get to be sacred, (laughs) we get to be protected. Y'all will go out of your way to protect a motherfucking marsh a motherfucking household of dogs, which I think is a good thing. You know what I mean? That people see the divinity in all things, except somehow not the sacredness in black people. And y'all want to listen to the hip hop and the, you know, do all of the different, um, twerking and things. And, um, so I just feel that that's also part of the, um, You know, so anyways, that is where the grandmother's poem came from, was like, I want to live into the sacredness of Black people. And um, when Michael Brown was murdered, I thought about how the police man, I forget his name, who killed him, like justified it by like, oh, he was so terrifying and monstrous and had like Hulk like strength. And I just shot him dead. And how there's always a good reason for shoot, you know, murdering a Black person. And people were like, yep, that sounds plausible. And I think about when I worked in Harlem um, at um, this organization, the Brotherhood Sister Soul. And, you know, I worked in their community garden, and there were all these elders who had their chairs like just in front of the garden and would greet all the kids as they're coming home from or coming from school to the building for their after school activities. And just the amount of love and presence these elders had and the kids had with them. And even like the teenage, you know, boys that were being hassled by cops all the time, when they would come around these elders, the elders, gave them so much love and presence and questions like you come into the barbecue is like could you come pick this up for me and all this stuff and it was like oh yeah this is the ecology of love that kids deserve not being criminalized because you look a certain way and you know they do it to black girls and you know black non-binary queer kids and all the ways too you know like there's so much disassociation from getting to be ourselves because we're always being put into this fiction of white fear and fragility and fantastical. Um, so I'm very interested. I think there's so much magical work that's happening. And I really wanted in this poem, I guess, you know, but the poem was kind of therapeutic when I wrote it. because, And it's kind of like a soft little juicy kind of like some of my poems are more like kind of, complicated and cerebral or sexy or emo and this is just a super like cotton candy poem almost for me like more ice cream cone it's like a delicious freshly churned ice cream cone of a poem yeah so i think like uh i really want to um like give this ice cream cone of possibility abolitionistic possibility to the world and that's kind of how it lived in this parade section was like here's this poem about grandmas and everybody let's make a thing And we're going to do something similar to that in Minneapolis actually for the book launch in, um, in August. Um, I'm having a book launch in April and then another like kind of block party with the Pillsbury house, um, where I went to daycare and I've performed out of there. We're having a block party inspired by these grandmas and we're going to have all this puppet and, you know, floats and weird shit. So it's, yeah, so, so anyway, so I think, uh. I do hope we have abolition. Like I hope it gets like to be. I hope as we build it, we know that it can be also a soft process where we don't have to abuse ourselves anymore to get freedom. Like I think, hopefully, that's where the Saturn and Pisces comes into that is kind of protective, um, and the Neptune dares to imagine that we can have a soft and protective journey into abolition. like I don't I'm tired of absorbing this experience of like, oh, we have to suffer to end suffering. Um so I'm curious about that too. Mm. Mm. I think that was a roller coaster answer. I don't know, friend.
1: That was really beautiful. and I yeah, I just I feel so much love for you and so much gratitude for the ways that you've worked so creatively to bring, just so much nourishment to people and so much support and to serve your community and serve black people and black women, black queer people. Um, and to take, you know, the huge amount of trauma and fucked up shit that you've had to absorb and to do this mutable magic with it, where it's like, you consistently turn it into art and you are in your service, you know, that, that Vesta placement again. Um, yeah, I just have one more question for you. And uh, when you were talking about, I forget, I forget the term that you used. It was naughty something like, oh, Saturn can be a naughty, like a uh, naughty
0: life coach,
1: a naughty life coach. Yeah, and it made me, uh, it it reminded me of a while back you were talking about Virgos being kinky. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> because the Virgo solar chart, like a Virgo rising chart, puts Capricorn in the fifth house, which is a place of erotic play. And you know, Capricorn in that placement is kind of kinky, <laughs> and like working, I think, creatively and erotically with power is uh, one thing that that placement can do. And your your chart, you've got a. I use a Placidus house system, not whole signs. So you've got Capricorn on the cusp, and Aquarius is there, and Saturn has been moving through this place for you for the last few years. Uh, But now it's coming into your sixth house. And I guess one way that I would feel into that transit is taking a kind of raw eros, like vital, passionate, kinky force and figuring out how to have a good time with something that then you really bring into practice and, and bring into service and bring into your labor and your work. Um, and so my last question for you is just curiosity about how you feel right now in your own life with this movement of Saturn, the planetary daddy, the naughty life coach, the <laughs> form maker. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think Saturn might manifest for you in Pisces seas in this place of, you know, your sixth house, your day to day job, also moving into a trine with your cancer son up there in the 10th? It feels like a really exciting time for you career wise what's coming up for you or what are you calling in
0: yeah huh um well this year i definitely am interested in how do i balance play and curiosity with attention with like being present and attentive to the life i'm living in the moment like i really want to be greedy with my attention to nature and um I really do want to sort of break into this like um you know kind of erotic relationship with yeah life offline I guess I've been saying I'm having a 90s love affair with myself and I feel like that's very much the you know way that I describe how I don't have like a digital kind of colonization on my brain you know (laughs) and um I think for me creatively, um, that's going to allow me to just, you know, similarly feel into some of the projects I'm holding right now. Like, well, the grandmother's book is going to be in the world and it's going to be, yeah, like I think having a very interesting conversation of abolition with all the generations and a very beautifully um, illustrated book that's very you know, dynamic and like, you know, speaking to how beautiful and wondrous it can be. And I want to be able to hold space in whatever way I can with how that conversation blossoms, especially um, as we deal with cycle after cycle of, you know, police violence and anti-Blackness and Black death um, to like remind us of this like North Star uh, oh but shit now nah, we we bought this juicy life these oh these these like sort of you know people that are brainwashed by white domination and white supremacy and power that sometimes it's in white bodies and sometimes it's in bodies that are the target, you know that they that um all of us can absorb this like you know mind state and I would love that this book gets to be sort of this um, light for being like, oh, yeah, let's just read this book over and over again. And then we can think of all the little ways, you know, if that serves people and staying hopeful, because it has been for me. Um, And I'm working on another young adult novel, Black Circus. Um, I'm actually going to be also doing some performance art stuff again. Um, I'm working on a a multidimensional, immersive installation performance work um, for the end of the year in Minneapolis um, called Erotics of Abolition. And it's a thing that I want to like continue to tour. And it's, you know, I, I have some writing and a, a short film that I made around it already um, as a part of a project I did with the Pillsbury House Theater. Um, and it has been expanding for the last three years. Like I, I started it three years ago and um, this Iteration is gonna be me like really letting it be an embodied, immersive experience, you know. So, um, you know, those are the things that um, I feel like. Mainly, I I really do want to let my spirit and my mental health be held by nature and held, you know, held by softness and nerdiness and curiosity and also pleasure, you know. And I'm grateful for Adrian Marie Brown, my homie, um, who really offered us pleasure as a, you know, container for holding such pain. And I think there's so many of us who have lived into that way of being before we kind of, again, had this sort of space to be like, oh yeah, pleasure activism. And that's definitely like, I want to like practice that. Like, I want to like, you know, have these pleasure practices um, of abolition, um, both of my mind and, you know, my feelings around my body, what, it is and what it can experience both with pleasure and with uh care and softness and luxury.
1: Mm.
0: And eat good food. I'm about to garden this year. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I'm about to really be like and learning Trinidadian cooking actually. I said this year I really want to like study with my mother and like become because I'm a good chef actually, but them trini things, the way my mom does trini it out, I'm just like man, I don't know how to trini out my food. And that's what I want to learn this year too, friend. Mm,
1: doubles, doubles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a, I hope that the Saturn transit through Pisces and all the upcoming future transits just bring you so much support and so much love and nourishment.
0: Thank you, friend. Thank you, friend.
1: Um. Shinada, I just want to say thank you so much for being part of my life and for being part of embodied astrology for working with us this year and for doing the work that you do and bringing it into the world I'm so grateful for you and I know that so many people are
0: oh my gosh yeah I'm so grateful for you friend and for the embodied astrology space and um yeah to get to have these kinds of conversations um with astrologers and really be like okay yeah like how do we reintegrate astrology into all facets of life rather than keeping it into you know these very singular spaces or but that astrology is life
1: Mm -hmm. we are (laughs) embedded in it
0: (laughs) yes definitely
1: Well, I will include in the show notes all kinds of information about how folks can find you and stay updated with you and come take your class and hang out with you at your opening and your book tour this year. And let's close out with your poem. And thank you again for being here. Oh, thank you, Boo.
0: Anytime. Could we please give the police departments to the grandmothers? Give them the salaries and the pensions and the city vehicles, but make them a fleet of vintage Corvettes, Jaguars and Cadillacs with white leather interior, diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging the scene with the gangster lean. Let the cars be badass. You would hear the old school jams like Patti LaBelle, Anita Baker and Al Green. You would hear sweet honey in the rock harmonizing on we who believe in freedom will not rest bumping out the speakers. Oh, and they got the booming system. And if you up to mischief, they will pick you up swiftly in their sweet ride and look at you until you catch shame and look down at your lap. She asks you if you are hungry and you say yes. And of course you are. She got a crown of dreadlocks and on the dashboard, you see brown faces like yours, shave buttered, and loved up. And there are no precincts just love temples, that got spaces to meditate and eat delicious food, mangoes, blueberries, nectarine, cornbread, peas and rice, fried plantain, fufu yams, greens, okra, pecan pie, salad and lemonade, things that make your mouth water and soul arrive, all the hungry bellies know warmth, all the children expect love. The grandmas help you with homework, practice yoga with you and teach you how to make jambalaya and coconut cake from scratch. When you're sleepy, she will start humming and rub your back while you drift off. A song that she used to have the record of when she was your age. She remembers how it felt like to be you and be young and not know the world that good. Grandma is a sacred child herself who just circled the sun enough times into the ripeness of her cronehood. She wants your life to be sweeter. When you are wilding out because your heart is broke or you don't have what you need, the grandmas take your hand and lead you to their gardens. You can lay down amongst the flowers, her grasses, roses, dahlias, irises, lilies, collards, kale, eggplants, blackberries. She wants you to know that you are safe and protected, universal, limitless, sacred, sensual, divine, and free. Grandma is the original warrior, wild since birth, comfortable and loving fiercely. She has fought so that you don't have to, not in the same ways at least, So give the police department to the grandmas. They're fearless, classy, and actualized. Blossomed from love. They wear what they want and they say what they please. Believe that. There wouldn't be noise citations when the grandmas ride through our streets, blasting Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Marvin Gaye, Alice Coltrane, Jimi Hendrix, One, all that good music. The kids gonna hula hoop to it and sell her lemonade made from heirloom pink lemons and maple syrup. The car is solar powered and carbon footprintless. The grandmas designed the technology themselves. At night, they park the cars in a circle so all can sit in them with the sunroofs down and look at the stars, talk about astrological signs, what to plant tomorrow based on the moon's mood, and help you memorize Audre Lorde and James Baldwin quotes. She always looks you in the eye and acknowledges the light in you with no hesitation or fear. And grandma loves you fiercely forever. She sees the pain in our bravado, the confusion in our anger, the depth behind our coldness. Grandma knows what oppression has done to our souls and is going to change it one love temple at a time. She has no fear.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Embodied Astrology. To find more information about Janata's upcoming workshops, her books, book tours, and other offerings, please check out the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends and networks. Leave us affirmative reviews on your favorite listening platforms, and consider making a one-time or recurring donation to support our future production. You can find more guest episodes at embodiedastrology.com in the listen section or wherever you stream your podcasts. Stay tuned in with the Earth, skies, and planets by becoming a member of Embodied Astrology. Membership tiers include access to monthly Embodied Astrology readings for your sun and rising signs, weekly moon day movement classes in the Embodied Astrology somatic space, and a sweet, supportive virtual community where you're encouraged to explore your chart through the lens of your own embodied experience. Find more information at embodiedastrology.com and follow us on Instagram at embodiedastrology.